can be Marianne Faithful there with No Moon in Paris ending the Creedence show which was presented and produced by John Creedon. We have more great music later tonight when we'll be joining Cahill Murray for Late Date. That's at 11. RTE Radio 1 Aiken Promotions presents Rhiannon Giddens Live at Vicker Street, February 25th. Tickets available now. Music updates on RTE Radio 1. Pardliner Ashtar Mishteiroch Imram the Irish Language Literature Festival in Dublin runs from the 18th to the 21st of October and from the 10th to the 18th of November Bilin eg rawagan hiniov show ilvanach fengir chemer oide eg Dracula asgailge agas eg gira anima Katrina O'Leary's haunting reimagining of Schubert's Winterreise full programme at imram.ie Imram on eililitriach de gailge RTE supporting the arts supporting artists supporting us Mooney Goes Wild is on the way in a few minutes' time, but first, at 10 o'clock, we join Shane McGowan for the RTE News. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said his country would use enormous force to defeat the Palestinian militant group Hamas, which launched an unprecedented wave of lethal attacks on Saturday. Mr Netanyahu said the response by Israeli military forces has only just begun. The Hamas assaults are reported to have killed at least 800 people in Israel, including 260 who were massacred at a musical festival. Israel has retaliated, killing nearly 687 people in a three-day barrage of airstrikes at what it said were 1,000 targets in Gaza Strip. It has also imposed a blockade on the Palestinian enclave, cutting off all supplies of food, water, fuel and power. In a statement this evening, Hamas threatened to kill hostages if the Israeli army carries out airstrikes without prior warning, saying the bombings were killing civilians inside their homes. Hamas is reported to be holding hostage scores of Israelis after its militants surged into Israeli towns on Saturday, opening fire on civilians. Israeli military forces are massing on the border with Gaza and 300,000 Military reservists are being called up, raising concerns that Israel is planning a ground assault. The Irish-American entrepreneur and philanthropist Chuck Feeney has died at his home in San Francisco. He was 92. The billionaire who made his fortune selling duty-free goods dedicated the last decades of his life to giving away his fortune through his foundation Atlantic Philanthropies. Nearly €2 billion went to Irish causes north and south. As the final meetings ahead of Budget 2024 have been taking place, there are indications that the energy credit for households will be worth upwards of €400. Arriving to meet the coalition party leaders at government buildings, the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, said the cost of living package would contain significant cash and energy supports for people. 
I think we're in a good place overall. Uh, I think we look set to have a very good budget which will provide immediate cost of living supports uh, to households uh, and to businesses across the country and it will also be a budget that sets us up well for the future uh, including setting out the details of two new funds including the Future Ireland Fund which will be a savings fund uh, and also an infrastructure climate. RTE Radio and Weather with Grant. Future-proof your home and comfort with the HVO Biofuel-ready Grant Vortex Condensing Boiler. Think heating, think Grant. Visit grant.ie. Scattered outbreaks of rain in West Connacht and Ulster tonight, mostly dry elsewhere. Mild and humid with lowest temperatures of 12 to 15 degrees. Tomorrow, cloudy with outbreaks of rain affecting West Munster, Connacht and Ulster at first. A drier start elsewhere before rain moves further to the east later on in the day. Fairly warm and humid with highest temperatures of 17 to 21 degrees. And that's all from the newsroom for the moment. Thank you, Shane. Coming up tomorrow morning. As the government gets set to lay out the budget, we'll bring you all the latest news and analysis. The UK is looking to use more nuclear power to go green. Should Ireland consider following suit? And how to recognise if knee pain is just a niggle or something you should take more seriously? Physio Jenny Brannigan will join us with advice. Join us at 10 on RT Radio 1 and on the RTE Radio app. Drive Time, weekdays from 4.30 on RTE Radio 1 and the RTE Radio app. Yet another twist in the Kerry Child Mental Health Scandal because a young Listole man who was inappropriately prescribed heavy antipsychotic medication for over a decade has received a personal apology from the head of the HSE. The heart palpitations and the chest pains, I still have that to this day. I'll, I'll always remember one time I was on my knees screaming with what was ticking inside my chest. You know, the increased appetite to be eaten Chinese every day of the week you know the cognitive blunting emotional blunting And now on RT Radio 1, Derek Mooney and the team on Brent Geese wintering in Ireland and a rather creepy connection to the Rugby World Cup on Mooney Goes Wild Hello and welcome to the programme. You can visit the website anytime you like, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. Oh, there they are flying overhead, the pale-bellied Brent geese arriving into Ireland now from their nesting grounds in the high Canadian Arctic, a journey of some four and a half thousand kilometres or more. And here they are to spend the winter with us. Isn't it just wonderful? And if you look up in the sky this time of year, you'll often see the geese flying in what's called a V formation. We'll be discussing that a little bit later on in the programme because Airbus, you know Airbus, the people who make the planes, the big A380, the biggest jumbo jet in the sky, well, they're involved in a project called Fellowfly and their intention is to get aircraft to follow behind each other in V formation the way the geese do in order to save energy and fuel and be more environmentally friendly. Can it work? Is it possible that in the future we'll see flocks of aircraft flying from Dublin to London? Who knows? We'll find out a little bit later on in the programme, but I'm sure you were all watching the big game last Saturday night. I certainly was. Pitch has gone in towards Ian Henderson. Sexton has it now in towards Gary Ringrose. Ringrose now goes forward with that one. Breaks through the cover inside the 22 to Mike Hansen. Charging forward with that one. It's got in. It's a try for 
trust Michael Corker to pick up on that kind of detail. Yes, he did say he was expecting 60,000. Nobody travelled like the Irish. And indeed, he was right. What a game. But I can't help feeling sorry for our fellow Celts, the Scots. And to think that we won't get to hear a flower of Scotland sung again in this tournament at any rate. Scotland, I love the Scots. Anyway, joining me in studio, Niall Hatch at her home in Terenure, Aynan Ilana, and at his home in Malahide, Dr Richard Collins. Now, why are we talking about the rugby? Well, it has to do with all of the fans returning yesterday and today and what they might be bringing back with them in the form of bedbugs. Joining us also in studio, an old friend and researcher on the Mooney programme, Katrina McFadden. Katrina! Hi Derek, hi Nile, hi Aina, hi Richard. So it's all in the news about bedbugs and people in France and the places overrun with bedbugs and be careful coming home and all that kind of stuff. Now you told us a story years ago when you worked with us on the Mooney Show. Would you like to retell the story? <laughs> Your encounter with bedbugs, please. Yeah, well bedbugs are not unique to Paris as many people who've travelled the world will know. Um, and you've invited me in today to make the nation itch, I know. So I am going to talk from the perspective of a bitey. So, <laughs> so, so a few years ago, I went off on a round-the-world trip uh, for a few months, nearly a year, and the first place I would have encountered bedbugs was going down the east coast of Australia. And so I was on a budget, so I was staying in kind of youth hostels and whatever, and you learn fairly quickly not to book ahead because the place you might book into and maybe pay in advance for might have bedbugs. So you would land in a town and you would go up and down, check an accommodation to see if they had bedbugs before you committed to a room. Did you ask them, could you see the room? Could you check well, the Well, yes, I'll tell you. So a few telltale signs. Often if you arrived at a place and you saw that people's rucksacks and belongings and everything were all out on the front lawn in the sunlight, that was a telltale sign. People were trying to get the bedbugs bugs out of their backpacks, out of their belongings and so they'd put them in the sunlight, in the Australian sunlight and that was a sign to keep walking and try a different <laughs> hostel but you could also go in and another thing you could do was you could check the mattress because you were looking for it looks like black mould but it's actually bed bug faeces and so it was a telltale sign that it might be bed bugs in that room so you could go in and you could just ask blatantly, could you have a little look at the mattress to see if there was a thing that looked like black mould or you might look around the skirting boards as well for evidence of, of bed bugs they knew whether they had bed bugs or not. Of course, but they're never going to tell you, really? are they? Well, they have to make money, I suppose. Okay. But anyway, I didn't actually get bitten by bed bugs in Australia. I didn't. But then I went to Thailand. And again, staying in some very, you know, low cost accommodation along the way. But on the very final night, before I was about to fly home, I thought, you know, I'll splurge. I'll stay in a nice place on the last night before I go to the airport. So I booked into this lovely Bangkok, old fashioned guest house, all wood, wood panelling, wooden ceilings, wooden floors, wooden beds. Everything was wood. Wasn't thinking that bed bugs love wood. <laughs> I was just thinking... I thought they only like soft furnishings as well. <laughs> well, you see, this is yeah. it. No, they love skirting boards. They love places they can hide out. They oh, love no. creases and mattresses. Oh, they love yeah. nooks and crannies. Places they can hide. But I was told skirting boards is a big one. So anyway, stayed in this lovely place with my now husband, then boyfriend. And uh, the next morning, got up, went to the airport, got on the long haul flight back to London to connect to Dublin and all of a sudden I start to itch and then he starts to itch oh dear and then 
I start to itch and, and we're looking at each other really well. and we're, <laughs> <laughs> no, we weren't engaged at this stage this was a make or break moment in our relationship <laughs> <It was>. <laughs> so, <laughs> there was nothing attractive about what was happening and we're confined into seats obviously we're sitting beside a stranger there's three of us in the row so there's myself my boyfriend and somebody else and we start tearing at each other well at, at ourselves I should say <laughs> It's not a better thing. Because the itch is awful. But you see, with a bed bug bite, often the itch doesn't come up for several hours. So I'm going to ask Aina about this in a moment. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, do they inject a little bit of anaesthetic? Is there is there something that happens that the, the itch is delayed? But anyway, we sat on this flight back from Bangkok and we scratched and we scratched and we scratched and we watched the bites come up. And you can see they're in little lines. So they they, they call it breakfast, lunch and dinner. So the bed bug will come and they'll bite you and then they'll scurry down your skin another few oh millimetres and they'll God. bite you again and they'll bite you again. So there's, oh there's often goodness. little lines or clusters. Of course, the minute we got back into the airport, we were Googling, what do you do in, in a scenario like this? So when we got back to Dublin, we got back to the apartment that we were staying in and we stripped off, <laughs> we stripped off at the front door down to our pants left our rucksacks, everything else at the door and we came in literally in nothing but our underwear. And then we went back out with black bags to retrieve all our belongings and everything went into a boil wash in the washing machine. You didn't throw it away. You we didn't, didn't throw it. it away. We didn't have to burn it oh because I would have got rid of it. <laughs> because, no because, itchy now. because the high temperatures will kill the bed bugs. Mm. And we were lucky that was that you know that was a, they were gone. I don't know if we even brought them back in our rucksacks. We might not have. But a top tip for people is keep your suitcases and your backpacks and your bags zipped. Keep everything zipped when you're in your hotel room, when you're in your accommodation abroad. Easy tip, just so you're not bringing back Yeah, but nasties. all these people have returned now in the last couple of days who don't have tickets for the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what should they do? Your tips are get stripped outside your house. If the, the guards are being called to streakers off in every housing estate in Ireland. My tip is to get naked. Yeah, just, you know. <laughs> I mean, we went down to our pants. If you can go the whole hog, go the whole hog. But yeah, that I think, believe, I believe that Honey, is. That, home. <laughs> I, believe, I believe that is the advice. So we know what you did with your clothes and your bag and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What did you do with yourself? Uh, I didn't do anything with myself because there's no, there was nothing on me apart from my pants. So I walked in the door and I was absolutely fine. I had nothing to worry about after that. I think I took an antihistamine. I probably put on some antihistamine cream on the bites. They went down. It's like a mosquito you didn't bite. Have a shower. I may have had a shower, but I can't remember. But what I did do was creams, antihistamines. It's like anybody who's had any kind of an insect bite. It's the same kind of bite. It's itchy. There's a bump. There's a little hive thing. It goes away after a couple of days. So but bizarrely, very itchy. you got it in the fancy place you stayed in when you splashed out. Yeah, but at you, least you think you did. You could have got it anywhere. I could have. And but God no, help the poor person on the plane sitting beside you. Well, that's in fairness. That was my worry. I would shield my husband, my now husband JP, while he would have a good itch, and then he would try and shield me from this person. <laughs> <laughs> and we were taking it in turns. But that. It, it, there was no other way you couldn't not they're the itchiest and I have I was actually thinking about it on the way in here I'm very unlucky in the bedroom Derek <laughs> uh, because, <laughs> because so am I <laughs> I mean you think that your bed is your I'm sanctuary your house is your sanctuary you go in there and you pull up you, you sink into the pillow you pull up the duvet for a good night's sleep right mm. but I a couple of years ago in Dublin, not abroad. Um, I remember waking up in the middle of the night, I could feel something on my face and slapping myself on my face and getting up and seeing 
Now, I believe, of course, I don't have proof, but I believe I was bitten by a false widow on the side oh of my, my face because it's, yeah. it's, there was a swelling there, took a few hours to go down, again, took another antihistamine. But I've also been bitten by sand flies in New Zealand when I was camping. Uh, mosquitoes in practically every country I've been to, they love me. I, and that's another question I want to ask Aina. Why do mosquitoes bite some people and not other people? And do bed bugs prefer some people to other people? Because mm. apparently they're attracted by your, the carbon dioxide you're breathing out. And we once camped on a, we set up a tent on an anthill at a music festival in Spain. So we got eaten by ants as well. So I was just thinking back to all the times I have been bitten in the night by various insects. Right, Aina, Katrina has questions for you about the bed bugs bite. Do they inject something into you when they bite you? Well, yes. Um, what we're talking about is the, the bed bug C-Max, which is a specific species of bed bug that only needs human blood in order to survive. So it's one of our personal parasites. And when it bites you, it actually puts in painkiller, Derek, okay. and it puts in an anticoagulant so it can get the feed of blood that your blood doesn't, because it's only a tiny hole, relatively speaking, and the blood might coagulate. So what it's doing is it's putting in the painkiller, putting in the anticoagulant, having a good suck, getting the blood, going on to the next bit. So the painkiller stops you noticing it in the beginning. And of course, then as well as that, then it, I mean, the, the, when she got bitten by the spider on the face, she woke up with the pain of it because there's no anticoagulant. The spiders are not supposed to be biting people in the face. But so they don't, they haven't evolved that way. But the, this particular bed bug has evolved like this, as indeed mosquitoes do it as well. Things that depend on blood have to make sure their victim gives them the blood before slapping them off. The only one that doesn't actually do that is a thing called the horsefly, which sticks its awfully sore thing into you and it can't pull it out and it fills up with blood. And if you were bloody minded enough, you, it would burst on your arm. But the pain is so terrible, you flick it away, cows flick it away with their tail. But everything else wants to do it secretly so you won't know you're getting the thing. And that's why it takes a while for that to wear off and then for the pain and the itch and all the rest of it to set in. So that's, that's pretty standard for those kinds of sneaky things. Well, I, I have another question, Aina, and you're not going to like this one, right? I was wondering, what is the use? What is the purpose? Why do we need all these bed bugs in the world? Why do we need all these mosquitoes? If we were to somehow globally eradicate them, would it not be a good thing, Aina? Well, yes, it probably would. I mean, the, these are parasites that have evolved with the whole species. In the case of mosquitoes, maybe not so much because they haven't just evolved with humans and they are a, a source of, of food in the wild for lots of birds and insects that feed on mosquitoes. But nonetheless, they have been draining swamps. They have been changing places where they exist. But the bed bugs are all ours, the same as the fleas are all ours. They're a parasite that have evolved with us because we were probably hairier once. We probably had more of them or, you know, we had fleas, we had ticks, we had lice. They're all, all human parasites, the same as any other mammal has. If you have a source of food, then something is going to avail of it. I mean, all the other animals and birds have parasites associated with them. I'm sure they'd be glad to get rid of them too. So I think mosquitoes is probably the only one you can make an ecological case for. And even that will be tenuous because mosquitoes carry disease. The one good thing about bed bugs, if it is a good thing, they don't actually carry any disease. So you're not going to get any kind of a disease from them. The only thing that you might get if you scratch yourself enough with dirty fingernails or what have you, you might get an infection there. But that wasn't given to you initially by the bed bug. They actually don't carry disease, if that's any consolation to anybody.
I think people often ask, don't they, Anna, about like, why do bedbugs exist? What's their purpose? Their purpose is to make more bedbugs. That's all they really evolutionarily care about. And we're the host that allows them to do that. When you're talking about things like mosquitoes, like whenever I get bitten by a mosquito, and like you, Katrina, they seem to like me a lot. I, I always get the bites. I do console myself that at least that little bit of blood they've taken hopefully will be ongoing nutrition for a bird or something that's going to eat that mosquito. <laughs> do you really think, think that deeply? I have to, I have, like glass <laughs> half full kind of person, Derek. Yeah, well, well has Niall, to be some purpose to you're this. a good guy, Niall. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one that gets me, well, there's two that I really hate. Uh, bedbugs, I've never had an encounter with bedbugs. Thankfully, they sound horrible, Katrina. Me neither, I, thankfully. Yeah. Um, ticks and leeches. I just I'm despise them. Oh, at least, at least with the, the, the leeches, they don't cause disease. Even though they're really no, Lyme the ticks, disease is on the rise, I believe. With ticks, yeah, talk it is. About it. I would urge people to please check themselves after they've been walking, particularly in any kind of woodland or, or grassland, because here in Ireland now, these deer ticks are quite prevalent in some areas and they can pass this disease on. Uh, and they have to be, the, the tick has to be attached to you for quite a while, I believe, before it'll actually transmit this disease into you. So it's important to check them. But um, like, like with the bed bugs, they have an anaesthetic and you just do not feel them. And it's so strange. With the leeches, I remember once actually touching a leech someone showed me one of these in, in Malaysia and said look it's not going to get you it's mouth parts the other side just touch it I touched it I could actually feel the tingle in my fingers that they went numb they have this anaesthetic in the, the slime that's on them that means you don't even feel them crawling up your leg um, and I remember having one in a guest house I, I was in it was actually it, it came off my shoe and I saw it on the tile floor of the bathroom and this creature was it was going like a slinky on the floor one end over the other like a sucker on each end just looping over they've no eyes they've no ears it was detecting my body temperature like a little periscope <laughs> turning around like Terminator going back after <laughs> absolutely nightmarish, nightmarish stuff yeah So and, they, and they've evolved over over millions of years the whole thing is to get a blood feed off us and, and then move on and reproduce it's awful Richard Yes, I, I, I gather a different bedbug down in tropical countries. So I wonder if Katrina need worry that the bedbug she would be bringing back from Australia or whatever would survive here at all. Probably wouldn't. What's interesting about bedbugs, a number of things are interesting about bedbugs, is how effective they are. Apparently, it's almost impossible to eradicate them with chemicals. They have become immune to all the things we use against them. Rather like antibiotics, bugs have developed resistance to the antibiotics with which we attack them. And I believe bedbugs are the same in the way I've been told this. I, I have been bitten by bedbugs. Barbara, my wife is bitten much more effectively than I am in those uh, tropical places where we were if indeed what bit us were bedbugs remember there's so many things out there that could cause swellings two days later or whatever that you can't really be sure what's doing what uh, pheromones are the key thing there Barbara has pheromones that I don't uh, exude apparently and it is the pheromones apparently that trigger these things uh, and possibly that's an explanation why both of you are very well matched, uh, Katrina and your husband. You're both bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Niall has the strong pheromones too, obviously, uh, Richard. I have a question for Aina because people who were going to the Scotland match, there were newspaper reports saying they were bringing their own bed sheets in the suitcases. But I thought that was kind of nonsense because it's not the bed sheets problem because the bed bugs are all hiding. As far as I know, they hide and they come out at 3, 4, 5 a.m. and do all their eating and feeding and run back in again. So I thought the idea of bringing your own clean bed sheets was kind of futile, Lena. 
I, I would agree with you, Katrina, because um, unless you're entirely inside in the bed sheet over your head and everything else, I mean, your head is sticking out, your hands are sticking out and it's on those exposed bits that they will bite you anyway. I mean, they don't necessarily come up and bite you under the sheet. They can do indeed, but they're not coming from the sheet in the first place. They're coming from under the mattress behind the headboards. That's where they're coming from. So the sheet is no good. It just protects you from the previous mattress. It might not have been a clean sheet or whatever, but it's, it's no protection, no protection against the bed bugs. So the protection would be then, Aina, following that logic. You need to bring some jammies, long sleeves jammies, socks, mm. gloves, mm. scarf. Mm. You need to seal your body up, do you? You need to sleep outdoors <laughs> in a tent by the sounds of things because people will be going over for the quarterfinals. There's no question about it. And beyond, if we get beyond. So they're going to have to do that. Anyway, Aina, it's for you. It's, it's cover yourself up but I mean I think Katrina inspecting the premises was a good idea that you did in Australia but I'd say accommodation will probably be fairly tight it'll be difficult to get anywhere to stay so they'll just have to examine themselves and like make sure they're not going home with bites and keep the luggage off the floor bring as little luggage as possible and it's your reaction to it. I mean, you were saying they bite some people more than others. Apparently, that's not the case. In some instances, they bite everybody the same, but some people are much more reactive to the bite than others. I mean, my darling spouse, Johnny, and we get bitten by things, but he'll swell up. He looks like he did six rounds in a boxing match. His face is all swollen up and I get bites too. I might feel little bumps, but he reacts to them hugely, much more than I do. So it's the reaction of people to the bites as much as who got bitten or who didn't get bitten. Well, anyway, final bit of advice, uh, Katrina, because you've been through this experience. To those who have just come home, to those who are going out, what do you say to them? If you're going out, inspect, inspect, inspect. Have a little look at your mattress. Have a little look at your skirting boards. Talk to the other people in the hotel. They will know. Is anybody sitting at the hotel bar scratching? Telltale sign. If you're on your way back, I would say uh, get to your front door. And just as a precaution, if you can, take off your clothes, walk Mm. over your front door, leave your suitcase there, bag it up and put it in your tumble dryer or your washing machine at a high temperature. Doesn't involve chemicals, Derek, or anything, but hopefully we'll stop bringing the little nasties back to Ireland. I think we'd have to get every guest to come through the door and they're all together to make sure they're not bringing in any bed books. Now you were going to say something. Just say you could just watch it on TV. That'd be another solution. (laughs) That's what I did. Yeah, but I missed the beginning of it. I missed the beginning of it. Anyway, Katrina, thank you very much. It was lovely to see you again. You too, Derek. We'll be scratching when she goes out the door. Bye! (laughs) There goes Katrina. I think we need a break from this. Richard, you were out in Fairview Park the other day looking at the herring gulls. Yes, was very interesting to see him because he was doing a kind of shuffle dance thing, you know. Now, the shuffle dance thing is a technique that some birds use to fool worms that it's raining, they say. This is a theory. The ground is dry. Then the bird comes along and it starts shuffling, standing in one place, treading water, except it's not in the water, it's on the land, and it's banging up and down. And this simulates to a worm who has no hearing, but is uh, is sensitive to vibrations, the the worm down below th- imagines, in worms do, that it's raining up above, and rain means the ground is softening, and that's a time to go to the surface and pick up the detritus that it eats. But it's an interesting evolutionary change that they've managed to devise this method of using the behaviour of worms to catch them. Let's have a listen. Here I am again in Fairview Park, which was once out at sea, really. This is a reclaimed land, but it's a great place just now. 
because it's been rain and in front of us we have a herring gull a very famous bird in many ways nobody loves herring gulls except people like me uh, but there was a very famous book back in 1954 called a herring gull's world which i remember reading way back and it changed everything it was by nico tinbergen who was a nobel prize winner that herring gull is interesting because he's doing something that is quite interesting you see the way he's pattering the ground now, a herring gull, let me describe a herring gull, or try to describe a herring gull. A herring gull is a, he's a medium-sized gull. He's quite a big gull. He's not as big as the great blackback, but he's bigger than the black-headed. Now, he's the medium-sized, and he's the familiar seagull that people talk about. Hangs around fishing ports and cries a lot. Uh, and he's a very opportunist character. You know, he's, he's a beautiful light grey back with black wing tips. At this time of year, the, the neck is slightly blotched. He's in his winter plumage. And their feet are kind of pinky flesh colored. And he has a very interesting thing, a red spot on his bill. Now that has to do with raising babies because when he goes to the nest and the wife goes to the nest, that might be a male or it might be a female. I'm showing my bias here now. It's, it could be either. But anyway, this particular gull, when he flies to the nest, with food for the babies and in his crop the baby taps at the red spot thing and that triggers him to vomit effectively the food into the baby's mouth so that's what the red spot is about now the wing tips are interesting too because the black wing tips are a, a security against wear a bird like that flying around there's a lot of wear and tear on its feathers and the wingtips get hammering because they're brushing off everything but black pigment gives them extra strength so they have black wingtips so that the feathers will last a bit longer but anyway this particular fellow is doing something quite interesting right now He's tapping the ground, treading water if you were in the water, that kind of a thing, but he's treading water on land. Now, it is thought that that is about encouraging creepy crawlies and worms and things to come to the surface because things like worms feed on the detritus that accumulates at the surface, but they can't come up when it's too dry. But when there's rain and it's wet, they come up because they can feed on the decaying material at the surface. And the herring gull is trying to fool them by tapping on the ground that this is rain pattering down. Oh, there he's going. He's got something. He's going down and picking up something that's fooled into coming to the surface. So he's thriving. Now he's cashing in, in a sense, on the lawnmowers. And the park is being mowed now so that the grass is short. The soil is near the surface, can be accessed, you see. So he's cashing in on that. And he's not alone. There's, oh, it's supposed to be 100, 200 gulls all over the park right now, here and there, doing this kind of thing. Of course, the herring gull is a great opportunist. He'll make a go of anything. And of course, people don't like him for that. He's now catching people's lunches, go flying at people in Stevens Green when they're having their lunch and stealing their lunches. But well done, Herring Gull. You're a survivor. You're doing very well. And I'm all for your side of the house, even if you do snatch the odd lunch. Thank you very much indeed, Richard. Tap dancing Herring Gull's Nile Hatch. Did you ever see the like of it? <laughs>
I have seen it. <laughs> of course, it we a, all have. <laughs> it's amazing. It really yeah, just shows just how resourceful they are when it comes to finding food. Uh, herring gulls are survivors. They have what it takes to cope in even very extreme circumstances. And that they're so quick on the ball to realise, ah, if I mimic these raindrops, it'll bring the worms up. I say realise, they may not know exactly why they're doing what they're doing, but that's why it's, it nonetheless works. All right, let's move on from birds and talk about insects. Let's say hello now to Terry Flanagan at his home in Dublin 15. Terence. Yes, Derek, it's all about insects at the moment. There was a great reaction to last week's report on the arrival of the ivy bee in Ireland. And recently, I was in the Natural History Museum here in Dublin. That's the dead zoo, as it's more commonly called. Now, most people, they go to see the large animals there, the basking shark hanging from the ceiling or the giant Irish tear just inside the front door. But what most people don't realise is that the total collection is in excess of two million animals. These are mostly small animals, insects and so on. And although they're not on show to the general public, they do form a very important collection for scientists to work on. In fact, some of these insects were collected by Charles Darwin himself, who sent them here to a very famous Irish scientist, a man named Alexander Halliday, to name them and identify them. Curator Aidan O'Hanlon showed me round. So Terry, if you want to come back behind the scenes, um, I'll show you some of the special collections that we hold. So you can say that the public galleries are really the tip of the iceberg, but um, all the cool scientific stuff happens behind the scenes. Right, so we're moving into your office in here now. And wow, I can see lots and lots and lots of drawers full of specimens here. So when people think of the Natural History Museum, they think they come in and they want to see animals laid out and so they can admire them. But... The museum is more than that. Yeah, certainly. Like one role of the museum is in public education. It's to house a gallery, housing all the exhibits that the public can come in and, and observe for free and yeah. learn about the natural world. But another function of the museum that people might not think about often is that we hold scientific collections for scientists to come in and work on. And usually this is for, for biodiversity research. So either in naming species and unraveling their kind of evolutionary relationships, so that would be taxonomic research, but also increasingly in working out their past distributions assessing things like have populations declined, invasive species, new species arriving in Ireland, are they spreading? Um, you can do all this sort of research with our collection. And just to give you an idea of the numbers, so in the natural history collections, we've got on display in the building, I think maybe about 20,000 exhibits, whereas in storage, in our scientific collections, which aren't intended for public display, they're for scientific work, we have something like 2 million specimens. Wow, that's something else. Can we go out and have a look at some of these specimens that you're talking about? So what have we got in this top one? Um, so this top one, it'll be mostly insects from Ireland. So all of these boxes are from a person called Alexander Halliday, who was an early entomologist in Ireland, an early taxonomist. He named hundreds of species as new to science from Ireland. So people think when you go and find a new species, it's often in some sort of tropical paradise. But when entomology was an early science and when taxonomy was early Countless species were being named as new to science from right here in Ireland. And a lot of that work was done by Halliday. These insects are absolutely tiny. They're, they're like mites, are they? they? Well, they're tiny little parasitic hymenoptera. So that's the group that bees, bees ants and wasps, and wasps yeah. belong to. But even bees, ants and wasps, most people are familiar with 
furry bees and the wasps that yeah, sting you and the ants are less than well what half a centimeter or well, less th- these are these are the little parasitic and parasitoid uh, wasps which are the most numerous probably the most numerous type of animal on the planet really i'd say a lot of them probably haven't been discovered yet and in this collection this particular box here there's there's probably about 50 of them i pulled this one out in particular because there was a note left by one of my predecessors that says including Darwin material. So we in, in the entomology collection, we have specimens collected by Charles Darwin. So, so some of the material that Charles Darwin actually collected on his travels would be here in this museum. Yeah, his insects, mostly parasitoid wasps and flies. And the reason we ended up with them was through this Halliday collection. So Halliday, when he died, his collection was sent to the trustees in Trinity. And then it, was, it later was acquired by the National Museum in, I think, 1876, thereabouts. And as it turned out, he had lots of specimens sent to him by Charles Darwin. It was through an, through an intermediate entomologist colleague that they had mutually in England. Yeah. But the reason Halliday ended up with all of Darwin's parasitic wasp and fly specimens is because Halliday, he was the Irish expert, but he was also the international expert of these insect groups. So he so, was capable of naming yeah. these so new Darwin species. Darwin was sending them to Halliday for Halliday to verify what they were. To identify them, yeah, mm. or to name them, probably for the first time. And a lot of it just sat there forgotten for, for a very long time. Are you still receiving specimens from the public and from scientists? Absolutely, yeah, all the time. And most of the time, it's kind of one-off specimens. So it could be, for example, a record of a species that's new to Ireland. So a recent one was um, box tree moth caterpillars. So this is a species that has shown up recently, only a couple of years ago. And uh, a member of the public in Dublin found these unusual caterpillars. So Paolo, the keeper, went and collected them, and I bred them. To rear them to adulthood to identify them because caterpillars can be tricky to ID and it turns out it's the box tree moth so this is an invasive species turned up only in Britain maybe 10-15 years ago turned up in Ireland about 2 or 3 years ago and now we have evidence that it's actually breeding here so you get one off records like that or the Asian hornet when that showed up 2 years ago but occasionally as well you'll get a large collection so someone will donate a large entomological collection that, that they've been working on for their whole life mm. or it could be from a university project like a, a PhD student that's been working on a certain group of animals like bees or something like that if they're studying pollinators. Do you get many scientists coming in looking for help? All the time. It's not necessarily always looking for help from us. Sometimes we get that. People want specimens identified and so on um, or they want advice on certain animals they might have found or they're, if they have a problem with an infestation in their house, sometimes they'll, they'll ask us. So we're not in the pest control business. But yes, we get scientists visiting all the time, more so to work on the collections. So if they are... But what do you mean work on the collections? Well, so they will be... Say you'll get an expert on hawk moths was a recent guy that was in. And hawk moths are from the family Sphingidae. They're the large... You know, people yeah, might be the familiar hummingbird with the, or the elephant. Yeah, exactly. Moths. Yeah, exactly. Um, and worldwide, they're a huge group. Um, and we've got a lovely overseas collection as well as all the Irish species but the taxonomic expert on those for instance was in with us recently and they were revising the nomenclature of that group so they needed to go to the original description so we have a lot of what are called type specimens so this is when you assign a name the first scientific name to that species comes from this one specimen it's, it's sort of like the standard for that species is one way of thinking about it and because of the age of our collection and because of the, the geographical span of our collection, we have hundreds of type specimens from all around the world. So if you were, for example, revising a group of, of, of insects in this case, you would need to go to the first description and interrogate the, the first specimen that describes this species and say, oh, well, it is that one, or actually this is something new. And in our case, for that particular group, it turned out to be a new species altogether. So the, this person got to name a new species from our old collections, from a specimen that was collected back in the 1860s or something. So really this is a kind of a symbiotic relationship. You're helping the scientists and the scientists are helping you. And in the long run, it's the Natural History Museum that wins out. 
Well, yeah, I mean, we, we gain because we get the experts in to help us uh, keep our collection up to date, I suppose, in terms of the taxonomy. That would be our job as curators to arrange the collection and to care for it and to facilitate access for researchers. And so it, it's really more than what the public think, a place to come in maybe on, on a wet Tuesday afternoon to get in out of the rain and to look at these lovely animals. And, of course, it's for free. But it's much more than that. It's about collecting these animals and parts of these animals and preserving them. Yeah, it's, it's a huge scientific collection. I mean, the, the, what people will see in this lovely old Victorian building is really the tip of the iceberg. And the work that we do behind the scenes is the, the scientific work on the, the vast majority of the collections that the National Museum holds. Thank you very much indeed, Terry. More details on the website, rte.ie forward slash 